This is Mountain Meister, the podcast that explores the minds of those who explore. On this show, we find people who are pushing it to the absolute limit, doing things that we sometimes can't even fathom. Let's take the Eiger North Face, which I, I climbed in two hours, 47 minutes, which I think was kind of a high risk. But by exploring their minds, we find ideas that apply to all of our lives. If you only stay in this mid-range all the time, you never get better. So, so you really have to go to the edge and push it. Meister fans, old and new, hello. If you're of the new variety, welcome. I think you're going to like what you're about to hear. And there's plenty more where that came from. This is our 118th episode, which means that you only have 117 left to listen to. If you're of the old variety, or should we say experienced variety, welcome. Thanks for joining once again, and thanks for all of your support if you'd like to introduce more of the new variety to Mountain Meister, there's an easy way to do that. On iTunes, you can leave us a review. It's super easy, super free, and helps us get discovered by people who are looking for a super good podcast. Join the 95 other people who have left us reviews. Maybe you can help us get to 100. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Mountain Meister. Today, we are excited to welcome Uli Steck. Uli, hello. Hello. And good night where you are. You're in, you're in Switzerland? Yeah, I'm back home in Switzerland. And yeah, it's kind of stark and quite stormy out there now. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Normally, I, I deal with the time change in the other direction. I'm on the east coast of the United States dealing with the people on the west coast. <laughs> Yeah. For the listeners who don't know Uli, he's a Swiss mountaineer who is well known for his speed ascents in the Alps and Himalaya. He climbs mountains that normally take skilled climbers days and a few hours. Uh, he's been awarded the PLA d'Or, one of climbing's highest honors, twice. Uli, I'm a huge tennis fan, uh, and there's another Swiss machine, that's your nickname, <laughs> who you may have heard of. His name's Roger Federer. <laughs> yeah, I mean... He's a, he's a fantastic athlete, and uh, I think he's an outstanding tennis player, and of course, he's, he's famous also in Switzerland. Have you had a chance to meet Mr. Federer? I never met him personally. No? Just, no. So many people look at the things that you do uh, and say to themselves, like, I, I have no idea how he could possibly do that. Uh, there are people who say the same thing for Roger Federer. Are there any athletes, or I guess it doesn't even have to be an athlete, uh, just somebody outside of the climbing discipline where you say to yourself, like, wow, I have no idea how that person does that? Everything you're not into it, it's, it seems like kind of impossible, you know? Like all the sports, you're not really, you don't really know. It's like, it looks like impossible, like... <laughs> Even playing tennis, how they play tennis, it's mm -hmm. like how I cannot imagine how you're doing this. So it's I think that that's just just how it works. I mean, everything you don't really know, it looks like kind of insane. 
And and it's just like a compounding effect day after day after day of doing something, you get good at it. What what did you do today? Well, today I, I'm I'm a little bit yeah, I just broke my ankle like ten days ago, so Oh no. <laughs> it's it's not it, it's not I'm not in my best period of my life, so I spend a lot of time in the gym lifting weights uh, and, and indoor cycling. I'm sorry to hear that about your ankle. I did not know that. <laughs> Injury is pretty difficult as a professional athlete, huh? Uh, yeah, it, it can happen. And uh, of course, you, this is life and uh, you have to get the best out of it. And um, I have a really good team in my background so they helped me out and I think I, I will not lose a lot of my strengths during this period good and on behalf of all the Meister fans out there we wish you a speedy recovery Uli, a mountain Meister discussion is not a typical discussion about climbing in fact we may look back a half hour from now and realize that we didn't talk about climbing at all quite frankly most of the people, if not all of them, listening to the show can't relate to what you do. Just like with Roger Federer, it can be difficult to figure out how a person does something, but maybe not how they got there. And that's how I want to start today's conversation, is by picking your brain and figuring out how you got to where you are today. You have this ultimate combination of physical fitness, of course, technical mountaineering skill, and this incredible capacity for risk-taking, at least in my opinion. Skills can be inherited, you can be born with them, or acquired. I'm wondering, of those attributes or those skills that make you such a great climber, are those inherited or acquired or maybe a little bit of both? I think I'm... No, I, I I'm a working person. I mean, I'm I'm climbing now. It's 26 years, and I was always training, and I was focused on on getting stronger. And I think on the end, it's just a fact of of being focused and know what, where you want to go, and just train for it. Hmm. Let's say let's say that you were switched with a, a baby at birth, and that baby grew up doing the same exact thing as you have done throughout your life, do you think that other Uli Steck would have been able to accomplish the, th- the same things that you have? Yeah, of course. I'm, mm-hmm. I think I'm not different to, to, any, to anybody else. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm not gifted, like be really talented for sports. And I think everybody can do what I'm doing. I, I don't think it's, it's impossible. Hmm. Interesting. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Malcolm Gladwell's rule. It's the 10,000-hour rule. Uh, But basically, he argues that if you spend enough time doing something, or 10,000 hours is the number that he figured out, if you look at the people who are really good at what they do, it's just kind of a matter of time. Yeah, I I totally agree on that. I think it's on the end, of course. I think the key point is like to figure out what you like to do and mm. then you then you invest a lot of of commitment into into something and if you find if you find this then you you're getting good on it i think it's just 
it's just a matter to find the way and the thing what you like to do and then then you spend them enough time and you're motivated to get stronger yeah and you found uh climbing really early so in that regard you might be lucky that you found what you liked so early i think that's the other thing in in life like if you don't feel like you're doing what you want to do you have to look for for other things and until you find it mm-hmm. some people find it very early and some people never find it in in their whole life so yeah i think maybe that was okay let's say that was the gift i got like that i found really early what i like in life and 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 start the climbing hmm. so so we talk about some of the other things we we mentioned technical skill there that uh you have acquired over time just due to the time that you spent doing it uh, there are other places for the listeners to find out more about technical mountaineering stuff. We don't really cover that on this show. But risk tolerance is another thing that I think you have uh, a very high capacity for. I guess we should start by asking you if you agree with me. Do you agree that you have a high tolerance for risk? Mm, I, I'm I'm for sure. I, I, liked, I like to play in life. You know, I'm I'm not a guy who is happy just being in a safe position all the time. Uh, I think I, I need that kind of like playing around. And I think that's, that's very important, but you, 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 it's important. You're not stupid. You know, like mm-hmm. I don't think I'm, I'm a guy who, who is like pushing a lot. I think I, I, I play really safe because I like to control and I think that's that's what I'm looking for. I, I look for for a risk or for something which looks like impossible and risky, and then I try to find a solution how I can control that. And I think that's that's what I like. You know, that's that's what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like mm, two years ago we had like a a really nice uh, event with with Audi where we could go driving with like like racing pilots and this is the same those guys they were controlling the car and this was really really interesting for me and i looked like i mean for me it would be impossible but those guys they can drive like really fast and they can control it and for myself it would be super dangerous to drive that fast and i think that's 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 a that's the thing I'm doing and I'm looking for. That's really neat. Yeah, seeing kind of seeing uh, a reflection of what you do in somebody else, but something that's seemingly so different, like driving a car versus like high altitude mountaineering seems so different. But when you can see the parallel, that's really neat. I heard you speak at the American Alpine Club's uh, benefit dinner panel. And for the listeners, if you haven't heard that already, we recorded it. It's episode number 105 of Mountain Meister. Go check that out. You said something really neat there. You said the less time that you stay in a risky environment, uh, in this case it's the mountains that's the risky environment, the lower the risk. And that's something that people may not see when you're sprinting up the mountains, uh, that you know the time there is just so much less, so the, the risk of an objective hazard is much lower. Um, however, however, there's a point where reducing time, I think can become more dangerous. And I think some other people would agree with me. Um, how do you balance going fast and, and potentially accepting more risk? 
I mean, this is exactly as like personal decision. I mean, it's based on your skills. I totally agree. You can go fast and it can be totally safe and you can go super fast and it's totally extremely dangerous. So uh, like for me, let's, let's take the Eiger North face, which I, I climbed in two hours, 47 minutes, which I think was kind of a high risk, but I can climb now with these skills. I can climb the Eiger North face in about four hours and we're taking not not a lot of risk climbing it really really safe with my skills and i just spent four hours in it and i think i climb as safe as the most like parties like using a rope but they they take like 10 12 hours or even two days which they they spend in the agro north face so mm-hmm. this risk is much much higher but of course, that the really like on the edge speed climbing, this is super dangerous on the end. Hmm, interesting. But you still do some. I mean, your two hour forty seven minute was more of the dangerous variety. Do you ever feel like you need to do those more dangerous ones in order to get better for the safe pursuits? I mean, you, you have to push in some way. You have to go on push to the limit to to improve your skills you know like if you if you only stay in this mid-range all the time you never get better mm. so so you really have to go to the edge and push it but you can do it maybe once or you just have to play smart i mean then you have to accept you cannot move all the time on this limit but you have to go on to that point otherwise you you never approve mm-hmm uh, another thing that you and Sir Chris Bonington agreed on uh, in that in that panel discussion was that there's this internal feeling uh, that tells you whether or not you should go on. Can you describe in more detail what that feeling is? Like, what do you feel that where you choose to go on? I think it's a feeling. It's it's not it's not rational. You know, it's something you feel like kind of like today is a good day or today is not a good Mm. day it's kind of like you have to listen to your stomach i always say like but you you have to make sure you are in a in a position where you have the time and you you can listen to your to your feelings you know if you if you're pushed for example by let's see you have like a cameraman or whatever you're really pushed and then you ignore these feelings and and i think this is this is super dangerous mm-hmm. so uh, i think it's very important to keep that out of something where you really try to push the limit that you're just playing your own game and you have you have the possibility and you have to the choice to to listen to your feelings but these feelings it's it's hard to describe i think it's mm-hmm. just just something really weird and you just have to listen to it yeah you talk about how there could be distractions there and many of your accomplishments are solo uh you have essentially eliminated all other potential for human interaction with your own internal feeling right yeah but Exactly on these solos, it's it's really important that you uh, 
you have no no people around which distract you and uh, and I think it's 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 also part of soloing because that's what you want to deal with for me it's kind of like it it makes it makes a solo real solo like when you're alone and I think mm-hmm. this is this is really an interesting part and which makes you also stronger on the end because you have to to deal with yourself without talking to other people yeah so the internal feeling is very very interesting uh the only problem i have with it is and i want you to comment on this is that if it hasn't worked for people we might not ever know because they're most likely (laughs) dead right like in this extreme environment the person whose internal decision maker was wrong won't be around to tell us not to listen to it yeah i mean I'm, that's a discussion we go, can go on forever now but you know uh, I was reading an article about managers uh, just recently and there was also the, the question what makes the difference between a good manager of a company and a bad one and I mean you can make analyses and, and anything like doing your job but everybody agrees on the end it's just you make decisions uh they're like it's just your internal feeling and there are people they have they just do the right decisions and there are people they just don't do the right decisions and in the mountains it's what you say if you do the wrong decision you you're gonna die so and we never know why (laughs) so it's yeah, it's we- weird to think about. Uh, on kind of the psychology of this, there's a lot of research uh, out there about how people make decisions, and generally people agree that there are kind of two systems. There's the system one and the system two. Uh, system one is your more intuitive, like automatic system, low effort, uh, things that solve two plus two, or when you're driving on a highway, you're basically using system one. Uh, and then the system two requires more reasoning and more of a thoughtful approach. Uh, it's high effort, and it's sometimes called thinking slow. When you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely doing something that requires only your system one. Maybe you're driving on the highway, like I said, or maybe you're going for a run. Uh, but if you try to listen to this podcast while you're using your system two, say you're doing something analytical at work, it's probably difficult to concentrate on both things at the same time. Moving on, uh, the part of the episode that everybody has been waiting for, we like to get a gear recommendation from all of the Meisters that come on. For yours, I wanted to mix it up a little bit. Uh, Because you're known for your speed ascents, your light and fast ascents, what is a piece of gear that you leave behind, you leave out of your bag that some people might decide to take with them? I don't know what people bring for a three-hour <laughs> climb, but I mean, on a three-hour climb, you don't need a lot of, of food. You know, you need maybe two, three energy gels and that's it. And okay. a lot of people need, need a lot more food for three hours. So, so you, take two, you take two to three gels with you, that's it? Yeah, that's that should be enough, and half a liter of liquid if you're climbing in winter. So, hmm. I think that that makes a huge difference, and 
yeah. Hmm. Very good. For the listeners, forget the food. But don't forget to go to Uli's Meister profile page on our website, mtnmeister.com. We'll have highlights of today's episode. And also, let's not forget to thank a sponsor of ours who made this episode possible, Champion Sport Extreme, or CSX. They engineer braces, straps, and compression socks that are engineered to withstand the demands of the elite athlete, like you, Uli. Now, this isn't your grandpa's tube sock. CSX's compression socks are equipped with an extra-wide self-adjusting band at the top to prevent slippage, a seamless toe box for greater comfort and less friction around your toes, and a V-guard design on the shin to reduce pain for those with shin splints and protection against shin splints for those who don't. For 50 Five zero percent off of your entire purchase from CSXChampion.com. Type in the code MEISTER, M-E-I-S-T-E-R, at checkout. Full details on our website under the deal section. Moving on, we gave the listeners of Mountain Meister, the wonderful listeners that we have, an opportunity to submit questions on our Facebook page. Sue Newby House says... Hi, Ben. Exceptional podcast. Thank you, Sue. I tend to agree. Uh, does Uli have a specific training workout regarding elevation gain, uh, weight carried, and duration that he would share? So as people start to go to higher elevation, uh, do you have any specific thoughts on training? I think it's really important to understand that climbing on 8,000 meter, it's you you're really like you have to work on your baselines like it doesn't help you a lot if if your cardio skills like your heart rate you can go like on a really high max heart rate i think this is mostly baseline what you have to work on on 8000 meter peaks and so focus on that and, and not like on short short high intensity cardio training Another question from Jesse, who says, can you ask him about his trail running? How important is it as part of his training, distances, frequency, etc.? I I try to run a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm not a really good trail runner, but it's just a good part of my climbing. So I think it's good to work on my, on my cardio. But on the end, I have to be careful because... It doesn't help me if I have a really, really strong cardio on the running and I cannot climb anymore because I think that's that's the key point. You have to be able to move fast in technical terrain and that's mm-hmm. that's my big strength. So I have to be careful. I'm not focused too much on trail running. But basically in summer I run every day. So You run every yeah. day in the summer? And yeah. h- how far? It depends. It's it's depends if I I go on for kilometers or for for altitude gain. But mm. but usually it's if I do altitude, I, I make like a thousand, a thousand five hundred vertical meters a, a day. Or right now, recently, I was on on two thousand vertical meters a day. So that's that's a that's a basic and on distance. Depends for what I'm looking for, but it's between 100 and 150 Ks a week. 
So for our American listeners, let me just look this up, 100 kilometers a week. So you're doing between 60 and 90, 60 to 90 miles a week. That's that's a lot. <laughs> um, all right, one, one final question. Uh, we are based out of Boston, uh, and we have a lot of listeners in the Northeast. Have you done any climbing in the Northeast? No. No, Sorry. nothing. <laughs> nothing. How about out west uh, in America? Any any uh, climbs that you find particularly challenging? I mean, I spend a lot of time in Yosemite. Uh-huh. I, I, I mean, I climb a lot on the west coast, and and I also come back this spring for climbing in the west coast, so it, it's good about climbing. Very cool. All right, so we've talked a little bit about the past. Let's talk about the future. You are a professional athlete. You're paid by sponsors for the most part. Uh, a lot of people get mountain guiding confused uh, with the more personal pursuit. Have you done any guiding? I'm not a mountain guide, so I'm not doing any guiding. Do you have any any desire to become a mountain guide in the future? No, I I know I would be a terrible mountain guide, <laughs> so that's why I'm not doing it. I I don't I'm not patient enough to do to do that job. So yeah, that, that was the decision. I've never done it. It, it reminds me of just uh, in the academic world. There are some people who are so so smart and would make terrible teachers, and they admit it themselves. Like, well, I just wouldn't make a good teacher. Uh, this kind of reminds me of that. You are so skilled in the mountains, but you claim that you wouldn't be a good mountain guide. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, also, you. this is maybe a heavier topic. You have a wife now, correct? Yeah. Do you think that your approach in the mountains has changed uh, since you since you got married? And then also, you don't have kids, uh, if you did have kids one day, do you think that your risk tolerance would change in the mountains? I mean, uh, I think it's the list. The risk tolerance it's just it's just a matter of of age, you know. Like when you get older, your risk tolerance get gets less. That's that's just mm-hmm. normal. Interesting. I mean, because of of some experience you had you know like when you're young maybe you don't have any accidents and if you see accidents it's never like you're never involved with it and then after the years people die which you know and maybe you're involved in accidents and and then you start to realize it could happen to you as well and and you start to think about it so this changes a lot and of course the whole life you, you just grow and uh, your risk tolerance gets less. That's for sure. Mm. Uh, I would not say that my wife changed completely my my life, but of course, uh, we having discussions about what I should do and what not. If it really makes sense to do this risk, but I see that really, really positive in my life because I'm pretty sure without without my wife. Maybe I would be already dead. So I think it's mm. it's 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 good to have her and uh, uh, yeah, having these topics together. Why do you say uh, that? Why do you say that you would be dead without your wife? It's I mean she she usually puts me down on earth. You know, sometimes when you start climbing, you on a certain point you think everything is possible. You know, you I mean you know it worked and then you do the next step and the next step 
and you need somebody who who just reflects that a little bit different and 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 put you down on earth and thinks about it differently and that's that's very important did you expect that when you married her we didn't get married because we we had to get married because mm-hmm. we just i mean we lived together for years before so nothing changed with the marriage so I think this was already before like that. Yeah, yeah, good point. Uli Steck, thank you so much for discussing this. And I know I know you're more comfortable talking about the technical stuff on mountaineering, but I think it's so interesting uh, to explore kind of the other untouched parts uh, of your high-altitude mountaineering. Uh, for the listeners, you can check out highlights of today's episode on our website, mtnmeister.com there's also tons of information on Uli online to wrap things up Uli you are the mountain meister on today's show uh, who would you like to hear from on a future episode hmm, it's, that's a tough decision but uh, I don't know maybe Alex Honnold would be a good a good uh, a good guy I 100% agree yeah, yeah. <laughs> for the listeners Stay tuned. Alex Honnold may be on a future episode of Mountain Meister, should he choose to accept. Uli, thanks so much. Thank you. And hey, have a good night's sleep. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) You have a good day. Thanks for listening to Uli Steck's episode of Mountain Meister. Thanks to Uli for staying up late and talking to us. And thanks to our sponsor, Champion Sport Extreme. Don't forget about that exclusive deal, 50% off of everything that they have to offer. You can go to the deal section on our website for full details. If you love Mountain Meister, let us know. Leave us a review on iTunes. Shoot me a note, ben at mtnmeister.com. If you hate Mountain Meister, or, or you hate me let me know why and we'll see what we can do and if you feel so so about us you're like nah I'm Meister's okay let us know what we can do to be great I hope you have a great time doing whatever you do when you listen to this podcast until next time I'm the host Ben Shank you've been listening to Mountain Meister Mountain Meister